Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And before we dive into the MMA, everybody out there needs to know we are both Brits. We both love the sport of football. Soccer, if you're stateside, it is the beautiful game. And the beautiful game took a black eye um, yesterday. We're recording this on Monday, April 19th. Uh, all hell has broken loose. There's talk of a European, well, I say European Super League. They haven't called it European Super League, Sandy, because eventually they're going to bugger off to Qatar and Dubai and play games over there. So, um, but one of your, one of the teams, six teams from, uh, from from the Premier League are in. One of them is yours, Tottenham Hotspur. Instant reaction, because I'm horrified by the whole thing. But what about you, as a fan of one of these teams? What do you think? It's disgusting, Simon. It's absolutely disgusting because, it, you know, you're a football fan first before you're a fan of a club, you know, and the club is made of supporters and many clubs in Europe, and we can only speak for the clubs in the UK and, and England specifically, have hundreds of years of, of tradition and culture embedded in the fan base and the club. There's heritage there. And to see owners come in, foreign owners come in. And look, this isn't surprising to people that have been long-term football fans. We've seen this. I'm in my late 30s. You know, you're in your early 40s, Simon. We've seen this over the last, what, 25 years, 30 years? Slowly creep into the game. Foreign investors, money and power and the political influence. And we've seen all sorts of shady business go on. In, in the world of football from FIFA all the way down. And here we are in a situation where lower league clubs and just clubs overall in the pyramid scheme are going to be massively impacted. Some could go completely out of business. Some could be gone forever. And that's not what you want. And, and, and the worst part about this is, is the audacity to think that a handful of clubs can just come together and essentially create a, a closed shop. That's the term that's being thrown around. That's probably the best one, to be honest with you. A closed shop system where you can never be relegated. And these 12 clubs, and I think they're, they're trying to get three more on board as the kind of the other, I guess, founding members, will always be included. And then the other five will, you know, will be hand chosen or selected in whatever fashion from how they place in other European leagues and, and what have you. And those are the only ones I would imagine that would have to be swapped around every single year. The whole thing's bizarre. It's a sad day for football. I'm disgusted that my club's involved. In addition to that, you know, they've sacked Jose Mourinho, which, to be fair, is the least of anyone's concerns right now. Who who the manager of the club is and, and you know, who's, you know, going to be coaching the, the team right now pales in, into comparison with regards to what Daniel Levy, Enoch, have done with this club through their entire reign and this is a cherry on top and to be honest with you look you know Spurs Arsenal what are we going to be we're going to end up being the whipping boys in this league anyway you've got Real Madrid and Barcelona let's see what happens it's just obviously a very you know fresh story it's developing as things go on but I feel like we've seen social media Simon and you know protests and fans and and the power of humans coming together to support a particular cause. This is going to be one of those pivotal moments in the world of sport to see if the fans of these clubs can come together to protest. And the only way that will hurt the, these clubs, and that's lying their pockets. Stop buying tickets, so, stop buying season tickets, stop buying merchandise, don't show up to the games and to be honest with you, the audacity of these guys, they probably say to themselves, well, that's fine. You know, we'll just carry on because we're getting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars through this introductory package via JP Morgan in the US. The whole thing is just, just absolute shambles. And, you know, you've got, again, just to take a line from Gary Neville, you've got clubs like Liverpool. Their whole moniker is you'll never walk alone. You know, you've got club like Manchester United, you know, as Gary Neville said, you know, he, he's a player, a fan, and just completely lambasted the, um, the ownership group there. So the people that support the clubs, 
that are involved in this, the, the players that have played for the clubs, ex-managers. I've never seen a wave of negativity so consolidated than I have with the reaction of this Super League announcement. It's madness, isn't it? And it also, how super is it? How super is it? When was Spurs last... And I'm not digging you out as a Spurs fan, but when did Spurs last win the league? 1961. 1961. 60 years ago. 60... That's a generation ago. They've won very little since. Have they won the European Cup? No. Has Arsenal won the European Cup? No. Have Manchester City won the European Cup? No. In 1999, I went to Wembley Stadium. I'm a Gillingham supporter, right? So we can't even see the Premier League from where we are, right? We're in League One, which is the third tier of English football. And don't worry, guys, we will talk about MMA in a minute. Um, But in 1999, uh, I went to Wembley Stadium, the old Wembley Stadium, before they knocked it down and built the new one, um, and watched my team play Manchester City on level terms in the playoff final and it is one of the most pivotal uh, most pivotal games in the history of Manchester City Football Club. You ask any Manchester City fan, that game is one of the greatest uh turning points in the history of that football club. We were 2-0 up in an 89th minute of that game. 2-0 up. Winning team goes into the championship. And um we uh, we let a goal in in the 90th minute. They added five minutes of stoppage time on. City scored another one and we lost on penalties to Manchester City that day. City then got promoted, got a load of money injected into the club and boom, up they went into the Premier League, won a couple of Premier League titles, right? So, and they're now one of the one of the richest clubs in the world. 1999, they were one, one minute, one and a half minutes away from being kept down in, in English football's third tier by the little dog fart team that I support. Um, and the reason why that is possible is because we've got this pyramid system uh, in the game of football. And uh, I tweeted out last night, here's what they should do. If these teams are insistent that they're going to do this, kick them out of every every uh, sanctioned competition that they're in right now. Kick them out. Not just kick them out. If they ever want to come back, they have to start at the very bottom of the pyramid. We're talking combination league level. You know, like you want to play in the pub league, you start down there, right? And you work your way up um, because it's just a cash grab. It's all, all it is is a cash grab. And if all the broadcasters and streaming companies turn around and said, well, we're not going to show this. We're not going to give you any money for this. This is only going to be a very short-term thing. Like they could probably prop it up for a bit, but long-term it wouldn't work. But you and I both know, Sandu, that all these broadcasting companies are sitting back rubbing their hands together all, while all their personalities on TV are sitting there wringing their hands and railing against it, the execs in these TV companies, these production, these uh, streaming companies, they're going to sit back and go, I wouldn't mind a bit of this. I wouldn't mind getting involved on this, on, 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 on this, on this gravy train. And also the guy who's been approached to head this up was my overall boss at BT when I worked there. Um, guy called, uh, oh, crocky, Gavin, Gavin Williams, is it? Um, he used to run BT as a whole. And uh, he's now he left them like three years ago or something. Sounds like he's been he's been tapped up to do this. Whether whether it actually happens or not, I don't know. But the whole thing the whole thing is 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 um, shit housery of the of 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 the highest order. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, would I be interested in it? Not massively. No. I'd, if it's not a competition, is it? It's just it's 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 a league of friendly matches with everyone getting paid a shit ton of money. That's not sport. And the thing is, is when these clubs do play each other in the current format in the Champions League, it's special. What's so special about playing the same team two, three, four times a year? You know what I mean? And another, another, to, to, to carry on with your, your, your take regarding the broadcast situation, I'll tell you what, Simon. The European Super League over-the-top streaming platform has entered the chat. Because it wouldn't surprise me if these guys wouldn't even bother working with your DAZN's your Netflix, Amazons, and you know, pick, you know, pick, take take a pick of the litter with regards to the current, um, you know, plethora of streaming platforms out there. Look at what Trill has done in the world of boxing in a very short amount of time. It wouldn't surprise me if these guys are like, yeah, we're just gonna a, um, <laughs> we've just bought our our way into creating our own league, and in addition to watch these games, ten ninety nine a month, Simon. 
Sign up for a year for 100 quid or whatever their pricey model is going to be for fans around the world. It's, it's, oh God, it's so infuriating, infuriating. And um, I'm just sad that uh, the club that I support, a club that I've worked at, I'm just not, I'm not just like a, a Spurs fan. I worked there as a steward. You know, I've been amongst season ticket holders, the most hardcore of hardcore fans. I've been there as a fan myself, you know, and been there on good nights, bad nights. Uh, and you know what? I love the banter online. I love the banter with friends when it comes to football. Yeah, Spurs ain't done nothing really to, to warrant being called a quote-unquote big club. We haven't won anything. We haven't won a major championship in God knows how many years. Right. 1999 League Cup, George Graham. I think that's the last thing you won. I don't even categorise that as a major cup though. I'm talking about winning the league or winning like, you know, European competition. Pro- proper, proper trophies. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's sad. It's, it's, it's sad and, and I'm hoping something happens and I'm hoping there's, you know, a rallying cry that happens throughout the world of football that tries to change the direction that this is headed. But you and me have seen, you know, things like this happen in, in other sports and I think the train has left the station on this one. Yeah, I've, I've done your guys a disservice. They won the League Cup in 2008 as well. Under Juan de Ramos, remember him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's literally all, all, all you've won in that period of time. And the thing that, if they're breaking away and, and creating this, this new league and it's because we want to generate more commercial revenue, blah, blah, blah. Okay, if you can do a better job than UEFA are doing with the Champions League, fine, if that's what you want to do. But don't make it a closed shop. This whole... These 15 teams can't get relegated. Why not? What are they scared of? You know what I mean? It's like, it's cowardice. It is basic cowardice. I mean, Arsenal scraped a 1-1 draw with Fulham at the weekend. Scraped by the skin of their teeth with Fulham, who are probably going to get relegated, right? Um, And uh, that's what we're talking about here. And then you've got Arsenal saying, you know, effectively saying, well, we're too big for this competition, we want to be in this private league where everyone gets an absolute shed load of cash. And uh, do you know what? We're too good to go down. We're too good We're too good to get relegated. We're too good to be removed from this league. But here, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to leave five spaces for the rest of you plebs to scrap over and earn your way in and get to play at the table with the big dogs, self-appointed big dogs, who can't win their own domestic league. I mean, the Champions League used to be the European Cup, and it was only the champions of each league, each domestic league, one team from each country. And it was a knockout competition, home and away. You win, you advance, you lose, go home, you're done. There was a similar competition called the European Cup Winners' Cup. So if you won the FA Cup or the League Cup, you you went into that. That got knocked around and got... uh, merged into the UEFA Cup, which is which was sort of teams that came like second or third in the league. Um, but there was a meritocracy to that. Then what happened was they made the Champions League where they stretched out the European Cup so that they got more games, more money. Great, all good. But then they said, you know what? There's a lot of big teams who aren't actually good enough to win their leagues. So let's let them in by being by offering two places, three places, four places. And even that isn't good enough anymore. Because Man United couldn't make the Champions League last year, Arsenal couldn't make the Champions League last year. So this is this is this is what we're talking about. These are teams who can't get the job done. They've they've already had the rules bent and twisted to accommodate them as best as possible within a meritocratic setting, and they still can't get the job done. So now what they're doing is they're saying, Do you know what? To hell with the rules. We'll just uh, we'll just make our own. Um, it stinks, and uh, this is one of the biggest sports stories. Um, you know, we've just had the, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic still, which is one of the biggest global, uh, world culture stories of a generation in terms of sport. This is a massive, massive seismic story. So it's a big, it's a big, big thing. Um, I know this is never made podcast, but me and Sandy, massive football fans, um, just thought we'd, uh, we'd weigh in very briefly at some point in the next week or so you might. You might get to read a little bit more on this from from me. I'm sure I'll 
I'll put some words down um, when I start my new job with the Express tomorrow. Um, what a week to start, by the way. <laughs> what a week to start. Mad. But, um, but, you know, my main focus will be other sport. Uh, and one of those, of course, is MMA. And this is an MMA podcast. We are 15 minutes in, so let's talk about it. It is, it's a big week, Sandu. It is a big, big week for MMA. We had, uh, we had the UFC and Bellator this past weekend. We had, uh, we had Triller this past weekend, but it's all building up to UFC 261. We will talk about all of this. Uh, obviously, we'll major on UFC 261 with the three title fights, but let's very quickly wrap up what happened at the weekend. Very quickly, on Friday night, Sandy, we had Bellator uh, 257, which uh, saw Vadim Nemkov, the light heavyweight champion, defeat Phil Davis in a pretty uninspiring main event. Uh, I don't know how the judges scored it 48-47. It looked like a pretty easy win for Vadim Nemkov, who moves on to the semi-finals of the uh, light heavyweight Grand Prix, where he will face the winner of the fight that we all want to see, Anthony Rumble Johnson versus Yoel Romero. That happened. Corey Anderson, uh, he advanced. He defeated Dovletjan Yagshimiridov via third-round TKO. Good performance by him. Again, not going to make too many highlight reels, but he got the job done. He will face former training partner Ryan Bader. And they had a nice little face-off in the cage. But the, the one fight I did want to, want to talk to you very quickly about, Sandu, Paul Sentex Daly, now fighting as a 175-pound fighter. I think he's done trying to make weight at welterweight these days. Um, took on Sabah Hamasi. They'd had a bit of, bit of uh, bad blood back and forth between the pair of them leading up to this fight. Got cancelled once because of covid Got made uh, as as the first fight of the main card this past weekend. And Hamasi was absolutely putting it on Paul Daly early on. Daly survived the round, hit him with three huge knees in the last minute of the round to sort of let him know that he was there. Came out in round two, dropped him twice and uh, finished him for a brilliant come from behind victory. Uh, I think that was his 32nd career knockout. I mean, what a boy. Paul Daly, he's been doing this thing for as long as anybody uh, in the UK on that big stage and uh, he's still got the power in that left hand amazing performance yeah death taxes and a Paul Daly left hand man absolute dynamite nine times out of ten if he connects with that it's game it's game over and the fact that he's still going strong in the year 2021 is just a credit to you know how dedicated he is to his craft to his sport um, obviously you know maybe not caring too much about making the welterweight limit these days um but that's fine that's not a problem you know i'm sure he's got some flexibility with the bellator matchmakers to get some catchweight fights going i feel like there's still one big fight for him simon and that's a, a rematch with michael venom page I, I don't think bellator and the fighters themselves did that event any justice you can't have an event like that being held in uncasville connecticut i'm sorry but you just can't and i feel like when the world opens up again and things get back to normal if Michael Venom Page and Paul Daly can continue some momentum over the course of the next 12 months or so, that's one fight that I'm sure Bellator would love to run back and, and have that take place in the U UK, probably somewhere in London. Um, so, yeah, you know, look, Paul Daly, you know, it was funny because just about, I think, a week ago or, or less than a week ago, it was the 10-year anniversary of his incredible one-round bout with Nick Diaz, which unfortunately he lost. But till this day, I think every long-term MMA fan considers the greatest, you know, single round fight and the, and the greatest single round period in MMA history. And um, so, you know, Paul Daly's had a, an, an interesting career and uh, it looks like he's still got a little, little bit gas left in the tank. Yeah, outstanding. Actually, 34th career knockout according to well it depends where you look I mean I, I've always worked my stats off um off tapology they gave him 32 Wikipedia says he's got 34 but he's had a shitload of knockouts basically um he's had three wins on the spin since that Michael Venom Page defeat back in 2019 he beat Eric Silver in London he then finished Sardawad uh, in 2019 at 175 pounds and he's now beaten Sabah Hamasi again at 175 pounds looks like he's trying to forge a, a bit of a 
a bit of a weight class for himself there. Um, and uh, he said he's kind of the king of that weight class, even though it technically he's in the weight class right now. But uh, they don't mind doing contract weight fights, Bellator. So um, fingers crossed he can get a few more fights and maybe we get to see that that daily MVP rematch. But that was Bellator. Uh, we also had the UFC on Saturday night. Big fight in the middleweight division. Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum. We talked about this on last week's show and the potential title ramifications for either man if they won. Um, and uh, I tried to talk you around on Kelvin Gastelum and I think it was partly successful. As it turned out, didn't matter because Robert Whitaker, as I think we both predicted, won the fight and he won it out of cancer, really. He won 50-45 on all, all three scorecards, got the job done in a competitive fight. It was a competitive fight, but he was the better man, clearly. Um, and to me, he is the clear number one contender in the UFC middleweight division. Um and if Israel Adesanya is looking to fight this side of September, then Whitaker is surely the fight to make, Sandy. Absolutely. You know, to get to get wins over the you know the opponents he has, Jared Cannonier, Kelvin Gastelum, um, who else am I missing out? There's one more guy that he beat and that run. Darren Till, of course, that started this current run. You know, but I'm talking about this current, you know, win streak since losing to Adesanya. You know, Darren Till, Jared Cannonier, Kelvin Gastelum, three wins in a row. You're a former champion. We know the UFC likes to make rematches. Yeah, this is a slam dunk. And I think we had such an array of middleweight bouts recently. Kevin Holland hasn't lived up to expectations coming off an incredible 2020. Darren Till, if you looked at what Israel Adesanya and his coach Eugene Barman were saying uh, prior to the bout with Marvin Vittori, it was just a... Hey, just win, mate. Just win the fight, and we'll get this done. It will be Till versus Adesanya. Unfortunately, Till got injured, so he was out of play. And then you put in, you know, Brunson against Vittori, and even though Vittori won, and he's on his own win streak, it's just not powerful enough. It, when you stack it alongside what Robert Whitaker has done, and then you put in, you know, the fact that Whitaker put on a masterclass performance on Saturday night. He really looks like, in in my opinion, Simon. I don't know if you agree with this. He looks like a way better fighter than he was when he was champion. And I feel like everyone is so much more intrigued with the prospect of a rematch with Adesanya. You know, Stylebender coming off his loss at light heavyweight, coming back down to middleweight. He has to run it back now with a former opponent, Robert Whitaker, who's on incredible form and looks the best he's ever been. Can Robert Whitaker make the changes and solve the puzzle that is Israel Adesanya at 185 pounds. I mean, this is a slam dunk. It looks like Whitaker came out of this weekend pretty much unscathed. If the UFC can put this fight together at some point, you know, at the back end of the summer or some point over the summer period, happy days. I'm all in for it. Yeah, it is the clear fight to make. I think the Darren Till fight was an interesting fight. I think they could have made that. I think they could have promoted their way towards that matchup. Adesanya was certainly keen. But obviously, with the injury, that completely completely scuppers that. And uh, Marvin Vittori, while there is a there is a, a storyline between him and and uh, Adesanya, having been the only man to take a decision off him on on a judge's scorecard, he had the split decision loss. So one of the judges actually gave him the win. Um, it really there really isn't anybody at the moment who stands out, or there wasn't. Robert Whittaker now stands head and shoulders above the pack. You know, he's a former champion. I think he fought with a little bit of emotion when he fought Adesanya last time. And that kind of counted against him. We, If you watch that fight back, uh, Robert Whittaker, were, of course, was the champion uh, for that fight. And he fought like a challenger. He fought like a man trying to, trying to beat Israel Adesanya. Um, and Adesanya just let him come to him and, 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 did, and did a number on him. I think if Whitaker had been a little bit more circumspect in, in his approach, fight off the back foot a little bit and give him problems off the back foot, I think it would have been a, a very interesting fight. And I think we might see that next time around. He's, his fight IQ, I think, has is, is, is improved since that fight. He's put on some good performances and uh, he deserves that shot now. He deserves that shot. The middleweight division needs to get back up and running, of course. Um, with uh, Adesanya taking a bit of a busman's holiday up to £205. Didn't get the job done against against uh, the big pole, Jan Blachowicz. Now he's back at 185. We need to see the title back in the mix. So hopefully, maybe maybe July, August time, uh, that might be doable, assuming all is well with Rob Whitaker. I think 
Later today, we'll get the medical suspensions from the Nevada State Athletic Commission, and that'll give us an idea of whether Whitaker's going to need to sit out for a lengthy period of time. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed he won't. Um, but the fight card as a whole on Saturday, Sandu, it was a tough one. It was a, like for we've we've both done this where we've stayed up late hoping for the best and uh, just praying we don't get a run of decisions. And we got a run of decisions. It was it was pretty much. I'm just looking down the fight card here. If you include the technical decision um, in the Alexander Romanov Juan Espino fight, which was stopped in a minute into the last round, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven decisions in a row, uh, an eight out of ten. So it wasn't it wasn't exactly uh, laden with knockouts this past weekend. Um, I, I don't know if there's too much else that sort of leapt out of the card for me. Was there anything that sort of jumped off the page when you, when you were sort of looking back at it? Look, Simon, I'll be honest with you. I was working the BT Sports Shift. If you take the action we got from the UFC card and and the results we got from the UFC card in comparison to what was going on, and I know we're going to go into it in a bit, what was going on on the other side with Triller. Triller just my my social media feed was completely consumed and dominated by coverage from the media and from fans weighing in on this Triller event. I think the only thing that spiked a little bit was the main event, Robert Whitaker versus Kelvin Gastelum, and that's probably because I think by the I think end of the first round the Jake Paul Ben Askren fight was over, so everyone kind of switched over but that aside it was just i haven't seen anything like that in a while the traffic that i saw coming from this thriller event i can only compare it to some of the biggest pay-per-views that i've covered in terms of social media engagement it was absolutely bizarre yeah well let's 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 move straight on to it i mean you know we've had we had bellator on friday we had ufc on saturday big fight with uh, with rob whitaker but overall the event didn't really catch fire and then we had we had Triller, and it was the first, the first big pay per view as Triller Fight Club. Um, we had Triller with the with the Mike Tyson event, but since then they've branded as Triller Fight Club, as you mentioned on last week's show. They've since purchased Fight TV, which seems like a very smart move to make, uh, and they really went all in on the promotion of this this Jake Paul Ben Askren fight, and and uh, you know some 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 sort of semi interesting matchups further down the card. Regis Progress, former world champion. Um, getting a win in the co-main event. I think in terms of fight purse, he might have been the biggest earner on the card, actually. I saw something. I think it might have been MMA Junkie reported the salaries. I think he got 850k for his fight. Jake Paul got 650. Askren got 500, I think. Um, but um, yeah, Regis Progress, legit former world champion boxer getting a win. Steve Cunningham, former cruiserweight uh, champion, beat Frank Mir. By decision, didn't finish him. Um, Joe Fournier from the UK beat a Colombian rapper who I've never heard of. But it was all about Jake Paul and Ben Askren. And I don't know how, from, a, from a sporting perspective how you can even break this down. All we can say is Ben Askren's boxing is terrible and Jake Paul's is, is a fair bit better. And uh, he connected with a, a really nice right hand that dropped Ben Askren. Askren got up. Did a bit of a wobble. There was a bit of a, a bit of hesitation from the ref, and then uh, he asked Askren to walk towards him. Askren had a bit of a wobble again. Fight got waved off. People are calling calling fix. People are calling that um, it was a dive. I saw Bare Knuckle FC Twitter account who have been uh, on the receiving end of some of Ben Askren's uh, Mickey taking in the past suggested that Askren has just been called into the Olympic diving team um, for for the US. Did you think that was a legit result or did you think that there was a little bit of something fishy going on? Because as an event, you can't say anything other than the fact it was a massive success. Look, Simon, we've seen enough combat sports and we've seen enough boxing specifically to, to, to know that that is not a dive. That, that, is, that wasn't rigged. We saw the wobbly legs. I think a lot of people that are screaming rigged and, and all that kind of stuff don't really watch boxing that often, you know? Or at all, and just were kind of tuning in for the spectacle of this event. And when they kind of see someone 
like Jake Paul, the character that he is, secure a what you know a first round knockout. Maybe they can't fathom it, and he's just kind of laughing all the way to the bank, so they've got to justify it somehow. But no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that was rigged whatsoever. And look, if you are a MMA purist, this wasn't for you. If you are a boxing purist, this wasn't for you. But guess what? They didn't bill it to you. They didn't market this to you. You were not, you know, the the demographic that they were going after. If you are a fan of sports entertainment, if you are a fan of entertainment, if you are a fan of uh, pro wrestling, if you are a casual UFC fan, a casual MMA fan, a casual boxing fan, and if you are a part of a generation that have become fans of YouTubers and vloggers and, and what have you, this is exactly the kind of target market that they were, they were after. And guess what? I think they got it. Some of the, re- the reported figures, I don't know this for myself, are like 1.4 million pay-per-view buys, perhaps... perhaps you know, in the in the region of near two million pay per view buys. I mean, Simon, those are some astronomical figures, and they obviously spent a lot of money getting some big acts. You got Justin Bieber, Snoop Dogg, on Ice Cube. S- some people I'm not even personally aware of, you know, but they w- they weren't promising you promising you an entire night of fights. And I saw some people complain about oh, just get to the fights, just get to the fights. No, they 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 told you what was going to happen. You saw the menu. You saw the menu. You saw that you're getting musical acts and you knew that you're going to have people from Saturday Night Live and you're going to have all these characters in the world of combat sports and entertainment involved and it was going to, it was going to be crazy. And honestly, Simon, from, from my perspective, I was watching the UFC on my, t- on my laptop, you know, you know, working my shift for BT. On my TV, though, I had this event on in the background and... I watched it and I didn't take it too seriously. There were some things that I enjoyed and there were some things that I didn't enjoy, which is fine, right? It's not it's not everyone's cup of tea. But I think the biggest takeaway for me and something that I guess is the biggest takeaway for the both of us is just analyzing what is happening. You know, what is happening from the business perspective? Why is it that Ben Askren got the biggest payday from an event like this? according to him in his entire career it kind of you know opens up a bigger and larger conversation about pay in combat sports opportunities in combat sports and and all that kind of stuff so i think it's a success jake paul right now simon as currently as, as things currently stand whether you like it or not he is legitimately one of the biggest draws in combat sports he has carved out this narrative of him being this villain and people are going to be tuning in to see him get his ass kicked, right? And he's going to try and keep that momentum going where he keeps winning and keeps shoving it in everyone's faces. And you see it online, Simon, on social media. MMA fighters, boxers, people outside of combat sports, all using their platform to say, hey, I'll, I'll fight you next. Because why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want to get in and get an easy payday and get a big payday? Jake Paul's you know, trying to get this Conor McGregor fight done at some point down the road and i tell you what right now simon i I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in the next couple of years as mad and crazy as that is to say i would not be shocked or surprised if that happens in the next couple of years if well if conor mcgregor gets dusted by dustin poirier um that makes that a lot more possible doesn't it you know it's 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 crazy to think but in some respects it might just be the fight that both both of them need at some point, you know. And um, it would be an astronomical pay per view. It would be a huge pay per view. And we we opened this show talking about this uh, Super League in football, and it struck me we're talking about that. We're talking about Triller. And here's the thing: just as the Super League is is basically football. Uh, marketed to people who aren't hardcore fans of those clubs they, they you know they're they're going to make their money selling this game to overseas fans people who follow the game from afar these aren't the people who were born and bred into following their local team so they're not the hardcore born and bred homegrown fans they're being left behind this product is not really for them and they don't really care whether they watch or not same for Triller. 
This Triller stuff is not aimed at hardcore boxing fans. It is aimed at fans of these personalities who are being brought in. And boxing is just the is just like the crucible in which it's all being it's all being projected to people. So this is this this is basically how it works. Like it could be boxing, it could be chess, it could be netball. It doesn't matter what the sport is. It's about getting those personalities into an arena, doing something that is going to attract attention. And combat sports, as Dana White always said, if you drive down a road, there's people playing basketball on one street corner, there's people playing football on another corner, and there's people having a fight on another corner, what are you going to watch? You're going to go and watch the fight. And that's why combat sport is where this is happening. And Triller are doing a good job of it. And I kind of grinned when you... When you uh, you went slightly into ramp mode there at the critics and said, you saw the menu. I love the way you use the word menu because that's exactly what it was. It was a menu. It was like a running order of, 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 uh, of, of, of acts. It's like when you go to a gig or you go to a festival and you've got first act on is this person, next act on is this band and this band and this. That's what we're dealing with here. It is, it's an entertainment event. It's not a sporting event. It's an entertainment event. It just so happens to have some sport within it, um, and you know it isn't it isn't uh, necessarily for the hardcores. And I'll be honest with you, if it hadn't have been on at a ridiculous time of night, I would have bought the pay per view and watched it um, as much out of curiosity as anything else. But I was a dead man by by about half past eleven on Saturday night, so there was no danger of me staying up and watching it. But um, but as a as a as an overall thing, you know. I think it's something that, that it's got a reasonable amount of staying power, but they need someone as well as Jake Paul. It can't just be Jake Paul. They've got to start building some other stars as well. Just like the WWE has this array of stars and they have all these different storylines brewing. The Jake Paul one is fine. Um, you know, it's just like Bare Knuckle kicked off with Paulie Malinagi and uh, Artem Lobov. Since then, they've carried on. It's, it's, it's chugging away. But it's not doing the sort of numbers that it was doing when it was Malinagi and, and, and Artem. Um, I'd love to see Artem on one of those cards, by the way. Can you imagine that? Artem would be great fun on one of those cards. But um, I think that's the next thing they need to do, whether they can get Logan involved, whether they can get some other people, maybe not necessarily YouTubers, but other pop culture personalities on there. You know... Uh, Oscar De La Hoya is going to fight on there. He sounded like he was enjoying himself uh, on commentary. I don't quite know what's going on there. I think we best leave that, leave that to uh, to other people to work that out. But my goodness me, yeah, I think the phrase was uh, "mucking fess." I think <laughs> I think it was he was absolutely shamb- shambolic. But that all one all, all to one side. It is an it, it's an arena in which people can go in and make a fair amount of money. And if you get in a ring and fight, you deserve an amount of respect for that. Absolutely. Jake Paul has taken it seriously. He's trained. He's gone in there. And he's done a number on a guy who's won world championships in MMA. That's a fact. Don't like the guy. You don't have to like the guy. You don't have to like the way he does it. A lot of people don't like the way Conor McGregor goes about it. But he goes in and fights and wins. You know? There's a rule set. You sign up to the rule set. You go in. You compete. If you win, you win. You lose, you lose. He won. Good for him. Don't know who's going to fight next, though. That's going to be interesting. If you're matchmaking, Sander, who, 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 who do you think he, he could end up fighting next? Well, when I interviewed him a few weeks ago, I asked him about Dylan Dennis, right? And he kind of told me, well, Dylan, Dylan, Dylan had his chance, and that's it. We're going to move on from him. But if I'm, if I'm Jake Paul and I want to get to that Conor McGregor fight, beating somebody in his entourage is a pretty good way to kind of construct a narrative and, a con- and construct a story. I think if he fought an Artem Lobov, I think I think Artem beats him, right? I, I think Dylan Dennis, I think you've got to say Jake Paul's probably going to be a favourite because Dylan Dennis is obviously, you know, someone that's got predominantly a jiu-jitsu background, hasn't exactly displayed a ton of striking ability. And if Dylan Dennis is going to be involved in that event, then I would imagine a fair amount of Conor McGregor's camp, maybe even Conor McGregor himself, would be involved in some capacity there, right? So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see who they go after. What What's clear, though, 
is it seems as though they found a formula that works. That is picking someone from the MMA community. Because then you're going to have the boxing world, good or bad, talk about your event. The MMA world, good or bad, talk about your event. At the end of the day, Simon, these guys were trending number one worldwide on Saturday night. And like I said, the reported figures that have come out with regards to how successful this event was on pay-per-view, they're not going around. They're not going away anytime soon. Now, is Triller Fight Club still going to be around in 10 years from now? I probably put my money on saying no. So for anyone that's involved in the industry, in the business... If you can get a if you can get a check from Triller and that check clears, go for it. I, I saw a bunch of mates from behind the scenes that were working the event, and I'm like, you guys go for it, get paid and uh, and cover this event. It's uh, it's a circus, but listen, combat sports sometimes can be a big circus, and we got a taste of that. And look, you know, I, I don't really care for the the purist take on it. This is this is combat sports. Just because you don't see something like that happen in the UFC or Bellator or in the world of boxing doesn't mean that there isn't a spot for this kind of stuff. It, there's a market for it. There's an audience for it. There's a business model for it that seems to work. Is it going to provide longevity and stability? Probably not. But it's around. And, and if Triller comes and goes, I'm sure there'll be another company that's at some point down the road as things evolve that will get involved in some capacity as well. Yeah, I mean, if if that one's not for you, don't worry. Like, there'll be a matchroom boxing event. There'll be a Queensbury boxing event. There'll be a top ranked boxing event. Um, if boxing is your is your is your sport of choice, if you just want to see a bit of professional face punching and you want it to be a little bit more professional, or you want a bit more action, or you want higher level competition, watch the UFC, watch Bellator, watch the PFL, which kicks off this week. You know, there's all sorts going on. So pick your poison and enjoy it. You know, it's you don't have to like everything, and uh, you know I think uh, it's easy. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've been guilty as guilty of this as anybody. It's very easy to sort of look at something and go, "Well, this is this is crap." You know, this isn't this isn't the real deal. This isn't this isn't the real thing, and it might not be, but it doesn't mean there isn't room for it. You know, uh, it's a broad church, isn't it? So let's uh, let's just you know enjoy it while it's there if if you're if you're so inclined if not don't don't pay any mind don't worry about it it's pay-per-view anyway you're not going to pay for something you don't want so don't pay for it all good but um one thing is for sure it is a legit way for uh fighters to earn themselves a solid payday on a big stage so uh interesting to see how this progresses because the jake paul story obviously is going to run and run until such time that he gets beat um, then there'll be a, probably an inevitable rematch. But after that, who knows? Um, so I think they need to build a few more a few more chess pieces on their board, I think. But uh, one place where there are a whole load of chess pieces on the board is going to be inside the Octagon on Saturday night uh, in Jacksonville with a crowd. UFC 261 is going to turn things up to 11 in the sport of mixed martial arts. It is a cracker of a fight card, Sandu. Three title fights. Three title fights uh, coming to us from the Vice Star Memorial. The Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena. Let's get that. Let's get that venue name right. Valentina Shevchenko will put her women's flyweight title on the line against Jessica Andrade. Zhang Wei Li will put her women's strawweight title on the line against Rose Namajunas. And in the main event, it is the rematch. Kamaro Usman will put his welterweight title on the line against Jorge Masvidal. Um, it's a big card. It is a big card. It is not a pay-per-view card in the UK, which I'm delighted to see, uh, despite the fact it is a it is a big fight card. And uh, the fact there's going to be a full crowd in attendance just adds another layer to the whole thing. Um, Uriah Hall faces Chris Wyburn on the card. Anthony Smith, Jimmy Crute is also on the main card. But let's just talk about these three title fights, Sandu, and let's, let's just start from the top, shall we? Usman versus Masvidal. It was a short notice fight first time round. Short notice for both guys. Usman, I think, was already flying back home and was on a layover in Dallas when he was told, actually, we've got a fight for you. Can you come back? And he ended up going back, having having already kind of mentally checked out. Took on a fired up George Masvidal, uh, but beat him. And uh, beat him pretty convincingly. Now, Masvidal gets a full camp. Kamara Usman gets a full run-up 
on Masvidal, are we going to see a different result this time round? What do you reckon? No, uh, is my quick and short answer. I just don't see it happening. But it would be incredible if Jorge Masvidal is able to, at 38 years of age, become UFC welterweight champion. Just given you know the, this late career, you know resurgence, this second wind almost uh, that has he's propelled himself to superstardom. And he's taken a bit of a hit, I think, on social media and uh, through the lens of a lot of people in the world of mixed martial arts and perhaps the hardcore MMA community with some of his posts and, and political views and, and what have you. That all aside, though, Simon, he's not had a full, full camp, but I think he's had enough time, uh, way more time than he did the first time around, to prepare uh, to fight Kamaru Usman one more time. I think he'll have Mike Brown in his corner on this occasion. There will be other things that will be different. Fans will be in attendance. 15,000 fans. He's in the main event. And I'm sure there will be a lot of Jorge Masvidal fans in attendance, given the fact that this is not too far away from his hometown of Miami. It will be in Jacksonville. So I'm sure there will be droves of fans uh, making the trip for that one. It's a big one because, you know, how often do you see someone fight for a UFC championship lose rather convincingly in a one-sided fashion and get literally an immediate rematch. We're talking about just a few minutes ago, Jake Paul and Triller and and all that kind of stuff. This is it. This is combat sports, Simon. If you're a draw, if you can move the needle, you will get opportunities. And that will be a fact forever in the, in, in the world of combat sports. Meritocracy is only applied when... It makes sense to a certain degrees from a financial point of view, right? When big fights don't happen or negotiations break down behind the scenes, oh, we'll just refer to the rankings and oh, we'll just refer to meritocracy and that's how we sell the fight. Well, that's out of the window here. According to rankings, there are far more deserving um, you know, opponents for Kamaru Usman, but you know, Usman, after beating Gilbert uh, Burns, He's the champion and he called out Jorge Masvidal because he wants a bigger payday and he wants to make as much money as possible. And I don't begrudge him for it at all. That's what you should be doing. You're a, you're a prize fighter. That's what you should be doing, right? So, fascinating matchup. I'm excited to see how this week plays out um, because I, I don't think Simon will do as well as their first fight. I still think it will do pretty damn well. I think it's going to do really, really well on pay-per-view. I think by the time fight night, you know, is is upon us, everyone's going to be excited. You know, we'll we'll have all the the interviews and fight week, you know, um, media opportunities and things like that. There'll be you know the weigh-ins and the face-off and and all the bells and whistles that the UFC will put on to promote this fight. I feel that by Saturday night, we'll be raring to go and excited about it. Uh, but in terms of the result, I I I just don't see Kamaru Usman losing. And if if Huawei Mazadal is able to pull this off then my word, we're going to have an interesting situation as we get into the second half of 2021 with regards to what he does next with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tend to agree with you as well. I think I think Usman is, is criminally underrated as a champion. I don't know whether it's that people actually do rate him but aren't prepared to say so publicly. I don't know what it is. I think he's he's one of the best pound-for-pound for pound fighters in the world. I genuinely do. I think he's, he's excellent. And... Jorge Masvidal maybe more a bit more uh, flash, you know he's got a bit more he's got a bit more of a camera camera friendly fighting style perhaps, but Kamara Usman is is as legit as it gets and I think he deserves a lot more respect than he gets. I agree with you about the the uh, the buzz leading into the fight as well. Feels really muted at the moment. You think given how big this card is, you know a three title fight card, you don't get them very often. And it just feels like everything's a little bit quiet at the moment. It feels, I don't know whether it's because we've, you know, we've got these other things going on and maybe we aren't as exposed to it as we normally are, but it doesn't feel like the buzz has, you know, like that, that fight week buzz has really kicked in yet. Um, hopefully by the time we get to like Wednesday, Thursday this week, you know, we'll be, we'll be absolutely, absolutely on hooks waiting for this one. Um, I think the fact that Usman won it so definitively first time round makes it a harder sell second time round. Um, if Masvidal comes out and absolutely blasts him in the first round and, and, and puts him in trouble, 
then it'll be edge of the seat time. Let's see, let, you know, let's let's see how this thing plays out, as Dana White might say. But it's on paper, I, I find it hard to see uh, Kamara Usman getting beat on Saturday night. But who knows? Masvidal has got the ability to turn the fight on its head in an instant. Just ask Ben Askren. So it'll be interesting to see how that one goes and whether it'll be any different second time round. Fascinating matchup in the co-main event as well, Sandu. And not with a, not without its controversy as well. Zhang Weili versus Rose Namajunas. And we could have talked about this in last week's show, but to be honest with you, we had so much else on, on the show that it kind of slipped the net a little bit. There's been some sort of political undertones to some of the things that uh, Rose Namajunas has been saying. Um, in fact, calling them undertones is, isn't right. They're, 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 they're overtones. She's addressing it head on, um, talking about... Uh, China and communism and all the rest of it and uh, it's interesting because Zhang Weili has been nothing but super respectful of Rose but Rose has for some reason has decided to inject this element of uh, sort of communism versus uh, versus the American dream sort of ideal into this fight and I don't think it sits well with either fighter to be honest with you I think this is the best the best women's strawweight fighter on the planet against a former world champion. I think that's that's the that's the main sporting story to this. This whole other thing kind of threw me for a loop a little bit and uh I don't know whether it, it really works for me. I don't understand why why she said it or why she's chosen to go down this route. We've met and spoken to Rose. She's absolutely lovely. She's one of the nicest people I think I've met in the sport. So to come out with this is is very strange I think. Um but as a fight I think it's a fascinating matchup because Zhang's got the power um, and the gas tank, and you've got Rose, who is a bit more of a slick operator, and as I think her submission skills are going to be vital if she's going to win this fight, because I can't see her doing it with strikes. But um, it's an interesting one. How do you? I mean, what did you make of the whole, the whole better dead than red sort of comment that we were getting from from Rose last week, and also what do you make of the matchup itself? Yeah, those comments didn't sit well with me, Simon. I don't think those comments sat well with a lot of people, to be honest with you. I think it was a bad look for Rose because she she essentially said it in one interview and then doubled down on it with her, with her interview with Ariel, where I thought the interview with Ariel would be the one where she would use it as an opportunity to perhaps clear things up, maybe get her message across in a better way, apologise. None of that happened. And I'm going to be... Curious to see when Young Rayleigh faces the media this week. She's clearly going to be asked about it. What her response is to this. Because she hasn't said anything so far. She hasn't reacted to this uh, as far as I'm concerned. Or as far as I'm aware thus far. And what's also another interesting element to this whole situation. Is they're both under the same management. Sucker Punch Entertainment. They're both managed by Brian Butler. So I'm sure he's been having to put some fires out behind the scenes um, and yeah, I thought this was going to be a, one of those really like respectful, just all about competition, two of the best in the weight class going at it. Like, you, I don't need anything else, Simon. We don't need um, any drama, any other narrative to get excited for this fight, but we've got it. And it's leaving a bit of a bitter taste in my mouth, to be honest with you. Um, so, and, and like you said, Rose is a fantastic person. So nice. We've spent time with her on the European circuit when her and Pat Barry were over as, as special guests. And yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know, we've got to deal with it as fans, as members of the media. And uh, like I said, I think it's going to be uh, a major factor in how this fight week plays out with, with, in terms of this particular fight, how these fighters are covered, the stories that are written about them and some of the quotes that they both provide as the the days you know roll on to to Saturday night that being aside in terms of the competition itself i've been so impressed by young Bailey. um you know the last time we saw her was against Jana Jacek which is arguably not just the the greatest women's mixed martial arts competition and fight of all time but arguably one of the greatest fights of all time just an incredible performance but both women there and it's been what literally a year and change since since that so i'm sure she's well recovered by by now and uh eager to remind everyone why she is the best in the world and i'm gonna be picking her to win this fight yeah yeah i think i think uh the advantages are clearly with the champion in this one it's it's gonna be interesting to see how rose deals with this because i think 
Rose's striking is good. I mean, you know, she's coached by Trevor Whitman, who's one of the best MMA striking coaches out there. But I just I worry that she might just get outpowered um, by 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 uh, Zhang Weili. So it might be that grappling comes into play. Rose is excellent on the ground, and uh, a lot of what we've seen from from uh, from Zhang Weili in the UFC at least has been in the stand-up. She's got one win by submission in the UFC, but largely what we've seen from her has been has been stand-up. So interesting to see how this all pans out. And uh, as an interesting sort of segue, Rose Namajunas, her last two fights, she lost to Jessica Andrade by that, that uh, slam knockout where she lost the UFC Women's Strawweight title. She then rematched Jessica Andrade uh, the following summer. In a, in a non-title fight because Andrade had already lost the belt by then um, and got revenge via split decision. And uh, what it did was it kind of put the roadblock on Jessica Andrade going back for the belt at strawweight again. So what's happening on Saturday night? She's going up to 125 and she's going to take on Valentina Shevchenko for the, for the, the women's flyweight title. Um, so there's all sorts of crossovers going on here and... It's a fascinating matchup because Valentina Shevchenko has all but cleared out the division to the point that they've brought a former strawweight champion up in in weight to try and uh, to try and give her a challenge. Is there anybody out there not called Amanda Nunes who can beat Valentina Shevchenko in the UFC right now, Sandu? Because I don't think there is. Nah, there isn't. There isn't. I think if I'm Valentina Shevchenko, I'm probably. Like, what? Why not continue just to dominate your weight class for now, right? And continue to pick up paychecks, continue to improve and get better as a mixed martial artist, right? And then maybe in a year, eighteen months from now, build up to another, you know, another Amanda Nunes fight at one hundred and thirty-five pounds, having one more, one more crack at the at the whip there, but at one twenty-five. You're never gonna pick against Valentina Shevchenko. She's just so damn dominant. Um, and I tell you what, man, Jessica Andrade has got her hands full. She really, really does. Um, you know, credit to her, right? You know, she, she loses to Young Veli. She loses to Rose Namajunas. You know, moves up in weight class. She looks, she looked good against uh, Caitlin Chikagian. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's. Um, it's one of those situations where it's so hard to get opponents for for Shevchenko, where a former champion in the weight class below, coming off a few losses, props up, just get her one one win, one win, and then there we go. We'll just serve serve her to Valentina Shevchenko, and there we are, another title fight. And we're talking about meritocracy and all the rest of it, Simon. Like I said, meritocracy in combat sports only factors in when it's uh, convenient. When it, you know, the rest of the time it's just right. How can we make the biggest fights, and what's going to be a good draw? We need to serve up a, a contender for a champion, and you know, listen, Valentina Shevchenko, she's just cleaned out this weight class, and I can't see her losing anytime soon. Yeah, um, I mean, to be fair to Andrade, she beat Kaylee Chikagian, who I don't know if she was number one contender at the time. She was probably in the top three, so. If she beats a top three opponent, then you could probably justify chucking her in for the title. But only a second fight uh, back in in that division. To me, there are only two fights left after this one in the division for Valentina Shevchenko. One is Joanne Calderwood, which is a fight that the UFC have desperately been trying to make for for ages. And uh, it's just not quite happened. That fight could potentially happen later this year. If... Jojo doesn't fight again and doesn't doesn't get a shock defeat like she did against uh oh crikey, who did she lose to? Jennifer Meyer. That's a fight that could be made. The other fight which is of interest um at 125 is if Zhang Wei Li decides she wants to go for a second belt, move up to 125 pounds. She's only one inch shorter than Valentina Shevchenko. So from a height standpoint, not much in it. There is a three and a half inch reach advantage uh, for Valentina Shevchenko in a fight like that, but we've seen fights with that, those sorts of uh, reach discrepancies. So 
who knows? Maybe that is the fight to make first before they put Valentina in there with uh, with Amanda Nunes again. I think because if Valent, imagine if Valentina Shevchenko can beat Zhang Wei Li, who is the strawweight champion, she's got the flyweight belt, and then move up to bantamweight and beat the woman who holds the bantamweight and featherweight titles. That would surely cement Shevchenko as the pound for pound greatest female fighter in UFC history if she could get it done. Um, because then she's basically run the table um, in terms of obviously she hasn't fought a strawweight, but she beats the strawweight champ. Then you beat the bantamweight champ, who's also the featherweight champ. That could happen. And if I was her management, that's the path I would be looking for. If she could get the job done, she'll fight before Zhang Wei Li takes on Jessica Andrade, I think. I think she's the first of the three title fights. If I was her, win the fight, say, I want the winner of that to come up and challenge me. I've run out of challenges. That's what I would say if I was her. And uh, that immediately sets the table nicely. Um, after that, move up and have a have another crack at um, Amanda Nunes. In my eyes, they, they should be one and one But uh, the record books say that uh, Nunes is 2-0. and oh. But uh, I don't know. We'll see how all that all that comes together but just looking at those three title fights Sandu I mean I'm it's it's kind of lazy but I think all three champions are going to retain are you of are you of the same mind going into this yeah I am indeed and still and still and still um, I think um, the one fight where I think the uh, the contender has the best chance is probably Rosnami Yunus um, I feel like that if she beats young, you know, young Bailey, I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, look, she's when she's on, man, she's on, and she's got two wins over Yana Janjacek. You know, arguably one of the greatest, um, you know, strawweights and greatest female fighters of all time. And you know, she she lost against Jessica Andrade. The KO slam comes back and beats Andrade. So she, you know, she's got some resolve there in coming back from a loss against opponent and and you know correcting things and things of that nature. And right or wrong, whatever her mental state is right now, Simon, whatever her motivation is, she's going to be locked in to become a UFC champion once again. And that's going to be the fight that I think will be most competitive where it could go either way. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating uh, trio of title fights at the top of that card. Very quickly, the main card kicks off with Anthony Smith versus Jimmy Crute. At light heavyweight. Smith, of course, former title challenger. Jimmy Crute looking to gate crash the guys at the top of the 205-pound division. That'll be fun to watch. Uriah Hall versus Chris Weidman is a fight that's been in the mix for for quite some time on and off. Uh, that they're, they're finally going to meet inside the UFC. I think they might have met previously. Um, I'm just going to quickly pull up Chris Weidman's record. I think, I think they fought before. They did in Ring of Combat way back. Weidman's third professional fight. Um, Weidman beat Uriah Hall um, on September 24th, 2010. Um, so, 11, fast forward almost 11 years, they're going to do it again inside the octagon. That's a that's a win or go home fight for both guys, I think. Whoever loses that, it's hard to see what's left for them in the UFC middleweight division. Um, and who knows, who knows what could come next for either of those two guys. And then you've got the three title fights. Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade at £125. Zhang Weili versus Rosnami Yunus for the strawweight title at £115. And then the main event, Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal at welterweight, £170. Three belts, three titles, one night of fights. Uh, that'll be live on BT Sport as per usual, Saturday night. I assume it will be the, the usual time slots. I don't know whether it being in Florida will bring it forward a little bit. Um, it might. I'm not 100% sure. We will find out um, probably in the next few days. And uh, if you check out mine and Sandy's social media, I'm sure we'll be we'll be able to uh, to plug those TV times for you between now and then. But that, I think, Sandu, is pretty much all we have on yet another packed episode of the Brit Pack. Yeah. Absolutely. And for those of you that want to follow us, we've consolidated everything now. We're giving you one link and one place to go to for everything you need, all things BritPack. And that is the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. If you go to that website, you'll see links to the show on Apple and Spotify, 
there'll be links to follow the show on social media to follow me and simon on social media so it's all there and just a quick note for those of you that specifically listen to us on apple podcast do us a favor rate and review us it goes a long way on helping the show get found and of course please do find us on youtube the link will be available at the britpackmma.com go ahead and, and subscribe nice and early for when the show transitions to video yeah we've made it as as easy as we possibly can for you guys to uh, to get on board uh with youtube you can even watch the latest episode uh on youtube via that landing page at the britpackmma.com so everything you need is there um hit us up on social media if you've got any questions or anything you want to hear on the show and uh, enjoy the fights this weekend. It is a busy, busy week. We've got the PFL this week. We didn't even get to mention Brendan Lochnane is in action. I believe first fight tonight against uh, Shaman Marais. Best of luck to him. Manchester's finest getting in there, hoping to get the job done on his first bout as he looks to uh, move one step closer to a million dollars. And uh, obviously we have UFC 261. All roads leading to those three title fights on Saturday night. Thanks to Mr. Sandu, thanks to you lot for listening, and we'll be back next week to unpack it all on the Britpack.